HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. This week on a special bonus episode of Meat in 3, we find out why the bacon, egg, and cheese, that classic bodega sandwich, is popping up on menus of New York's trendiest restaurants. We did a few iterations of it, and I was trying to fancify it. We tried the sausage, egg, and cheese, and then we tried to put charmoula sauce on it. We used feta cheese, and we just like taking ingredients of the Mediterranean, if you will, and try to infuse it. But uh, for me, it was like a car wreck. Tune in to hear about the wild journey of the bacon, egg, and cheese, from deli to fine dining, on Meat and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Byron Bates. We'll talk to Byron about fermented juice, the peripheral and wild world natural wine festivals, and more. We'll taste a wine from Sylvain Bach for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Byron Bates was waving the natural wine flag before it was a thing. He introduced natural winemakers via his wine list in New York City over 20 years ago. He left the floor to bring these wines to the U.S. through his Goat Boy selections. Um, Byron and his friend Zach Palaccio are a driving force between two natural wine festivals, the Peripheral in the Hudson Valley and Wild World in New York. Coming to Brooklyn, we'll give you all the dates and info as we talk to Byron. Byron, welcome to the Grape Nation. Thank you, Sam. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, very timely that you're here because we have a lot to talk about. Indeed. But before we get into everything, um, I want to give people an idea, a little context of who you are and where you came from because you do have an interesting story. Do I? You do because we're talking in the context of 
wine, natural wine, fermented. We're talking about all these fairs and everything. Um, mm-hmm. So you're here because of where you were, and I want you to, you know, tell me. Sure. That's tell our listeners. Very that. existential, but yeah, that's true. I am here because of where I were, where I was, and I was fermented in uh, <laughs> or born in uh, uh, Texas. Uh, I came here uh, right out of college, uh, a very young age, and. Uh, I guess, you know, we want to know how I got into wine. I got into wine by uh, not being successful as an artist or actor. and Applied uh, artist? Uh, as an artist. Oh, an actor. artist. Okay. So, all, all uh, you know, you, you hit 30 or you're in your late 20s and all you know is kind of the restaurant business. And, uh, and wine was kind of the most exciting part of that, uh, the most appealing part. Uh, so I, I, I aired towards that and travels and um, just got into it. So where'd you cut your teeth? I mean, where'd you start? Where was that? Well, I've had, <laughs> I, I've, I've had a record number of jobs and I've, I've been fired more than anyone uh, okay. you'll ever meet. Uh, right. There's... There's two degrees of Byron in the restaurant world. Uh, I've worked for every manager, every owner, every type of restaurant, both McNally brothers. Um, um, but I would say, you know, maybe, I guess uh, at the Royalton Hotel, it's kind of when I took an interest to wine. Uh, the what same year time, was that about? It was about 95. Okay. At the same time, um, there's a restaurant called Ansonia on the Upper West Side, right. which was... Uh, I lived up there, and I worked there also. And well, they were introducing you to stuff like, you know, cult cabs and, and uh, Sonoma Pinots and, and, you know, some high-end Burgundies and Bordeaux. It was all interesting, but... Uh, Sounds like the mainstream stuff. People don't realize how dreadful the 90s were. People uh, diss the hipsterification of wine today, but uh, as, you know... That was the parkerization of wine, the big, bold reds and Bordeaux. It was the commodification, the parkerization. It was was pretty ugly back then. And to someone like me in in their mid-20s, the first time I had a, what we, let's let's just call it a real wine... um, a bell rung, you know, uh, and in this case, it was uh, uh, drinking Beaujolais. I think most people into natural wine today were drinking Kermit Lynch. We never called that natural wine; it was just wine. Uh, but we were attracted to the simplicity. The the uh, it was kind of a working class wine. You'd go to France and you go to these old cafes, and these these farmers, grungy old farmers, would come in and. They'd be downing Beaujolais, and it would it would remarkably even the worst cafes it would be at temperature, and I remember going to Jean George and the wines are sitting on the bar they're not at temperature, so it was really uh, really an eye opener to travel to France back then. Mm. So that's that couple. So you with, never took a liking to the the Bordeaux. Never the never Cali. did. I don't know it why. Just, I mean, it was a like thing this, then, and a lot of people did. It wasn't yours, and then you connected I with tried the wine. To. I read, I read all yeah, McInerney's uh, books. I read, you know. Uh, <laughs> he's still I, I into that stuff. Yeah. He's grown, too. You know, we've all evolved. Yeah, he's open to it. But yeah. there, we won't get into it, and Jay knows it as well as anyone. There's a story about when he came into Frenchette with a couple of bottles of wine, some Bordeaux. Oh, yeah, everyone knows this but story. That's, <laughs> you know, people can Google that story on yeah. their own. All right, so get me into specifics. I know you got into a place, Bede, which is really... Betty, yeah. Bede, where you really 
really took a shot at, at loading the list up with, you know, really one of the earlier... A notch. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, a list dedicated to these types of well, wines. Well, it's... First of all, it was an Amy Sacco restaurant, and it was, it was aspirational. She she was famous as... She's an A-list uh, party... Nightlife empresario. Yes, and she wanted to do a restaurant, and my friends were involved, uh, and they needed a wine director, and... I wanted to, uh, what do you do for an Amy Sacco restaurant? You know everyone's going to say, oh, she's the nightlife maven. We're not going to take this serious. Uh, but everything else was being taken serious. So I knew no one would come there for the wine. So it seemed like, why not do something off the wall? Do something that I, you, you'd scratch your head. is like, what do you do here? And the big eye-opener was like, why don't I write a list that I would want? And I guess, you know, sometimes that's, People perceive that as innovation, or or being bold, and it's just so simple. Like, like so, t t two quick question observations: um, Were you up to speed on all of that, or there, as far as product, where there wasn't that much, and whatever was there, you brought it in? No, there was a lot. There was, so yeah. that wasn't the issue. So you had enough wine to bring in. The other question and answer from both was, you know, you would think that nightlife crowd, you know, with bottle service and all that, you know, that they would be like the Cristal and the Opus One crowd or whatever. It, it, it wasn't, that didn't matter, right? No. Uh, people were there to dine. We were shooting for two stars. It was a real restaurant. It was in London Terrace in Chelsea. Mm. We were considered ourselves to be like uh, the red cat across the street. And in fact, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Danny Abrams? Or From where? Uh, Red Cat. Oh, Jimmy Bradley. Bradley. Jimmy Bradley. Danny Abrams was the partner early yeah. on. Okay. I'm, I'm dyslexia at work here. Um, and uh, Jonathan Waxman used to come in every night. We got foodies, and, and you know, Alice Firing came in. Mm. Um, so I knew, I, I never thought that uh, doing natural wine would distract from business there. It would just create a new niche, and no one would even know they were drinking it. And, and that's, it did, that's what it happened. Did. Well, the Times noticed. Uh, uh, I know Eric my Asimov noticed. did right. a little uh, nice write-up about it. He wrote an obituary for it when, when it died. He did? Which was, yeah, wow. I've never seen him do before. That's uh, high praise on both <laughs> ends. Um, was yeah, most of the wine from France, Little Italy? I mean, where, where was most of the wine coming from? Oh, uh, it, was, it was both. Oh. It, it, there was a lot of New World. It wasn't completely... Uh, uh, I mean, there were there were some organic Cabernets from California. Right. Uh, there were some outs on there, but generally it was, uh, you know, working with Jenny and Francois Selections, who's an importer, uh, uh, Louis Dresner, which oh, is another famous natural importer. Those were the guys doing it then and now. Um, by the time you got there, was there a job or a person that had an influence on this direction you were taking? Uh, no. Uh, like I said, my friends were all, my friend was the GM. It was, a, it was a group of guys that had worked together before. Okay. And they knew what, what I brought, and I knew what they brought. So that comes to an end. You had a pretty good run there. Mm -hmm. Took a shot. It was a good one. Sure. Um, what happens after that? Oh, boy. Um, Jesus. You got a lot of <laughs> gaps to fill. <laughs> Um, Only one guy goes from one job to another to another. You have like nine in between. Well, 28 of, uh, of the, <laughs> okay. the 30 jobs were in the 90s. Uh, okay. uh, in the aughts, um, well, um, I had 
moved around a little bit, done some consulting. Back in, in the 2000s, a lot of us were doing consulting, and restaurants could pay. Uh, this until, is New York, right? In New York, yeah. yeah. Um, we, we all joke about this now. And, 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 our, and our salaries started going down across the board, and, and you were asked to wear several hats. Uh, so you had to be a GM and a wine director, which was all fine, but, but the salary cut got difficult. And I turned 40 and, and went on a Craigslist ad, and, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it, was, it was, it just, I just realized this is not for me anymore. Um, it's 20 somethings doing the hiring, even with the experience. The experience scared them off. Yeah. They weren't like, oh, let's get this dude. Like, he's done it all. They're right. like, oh, this guy's set in his ways. Let's. So I wanted, so I started an import company. So you started an import company what year? Uh, 2012. So that's what you've been doing, among other things, which Correct. we're going to talk about. Um, all right, so we're up to current. All right, help me with two things, all right? Um, I know the word natural wine is sort of an ambiguous term, but mm -hmm. we're going to use it mm -hmm. as the term and all of that. And I think you're pretty much into you know, natural wine, the natural wine world. Um, and let's not assume everybody knows everything or knows it like you or even me or even Jay a little. Um, there's still some nagging myths mm -hmm. about natural wine um, for the consumer that's not that well-versed. What, what do you think some of them are? Is it consistency? Is it uh, people aren't aware? I mean, what are things we could debunk right now? Well... I mean, natural wine is a difficult term because it, it opens the door for criticism. Um, let's just... The next question was, why is it so divisive? So let's answer the first be. one first. Be. Okay. But, but, yeah. uh, natural wine is... Uh, I don't want to give it a definition, but um, um, I, I don't know why it's so divisive. Uh, it's just wine. Uh, it's wine made less unnaturally than commercial wines. Uh, there's nothing to argue with about that. Right. But that's the product. The divisiveness, I guess, comes to the people. Right. Is it an us or them thing? Is that part of it? or? It, it, it seems that way. I, mean, I invited a bunch of, uh, you know, master MSs or master sommeliers don't, don't like to, uh, they're, they're afraid of the topic. A lot of them are uh, because it makes, I think it sometimes makes them feel uh, uncool or outdated. And then there's the, uh, the, the surgeons of the, um, well, let's, let's just, for lack of a better word, this is what they call them, like hipster psalms that right. just like a bunch of bacterial screwed up wines and try to sell them and, and are kind of snobby about it. So it's like a different version of, of the wine snob So neither one is great. Of course not. The, you of know, the out-of-touch MS no, it's and all the, the hipster guy bullshit. who's blind yeah. to anything else. You're right. Um, so what's the middle ground? I mean, the middle ground is the reality and the you know, well, the reality is, is the Kermit Lynch, like Gang of Four Beaujolais, are natural wines. None of these people that that say they don't like natural wines do not like these wines. They like a lot of natural wine. So it's it's 
it's an absurd comment to say, oh, right. I don't like natural wine. That means nothing. That's, that's like it's I, a weird discussion. I'm even uncomfortable with it that it got to this. Because I'm breaking out in hives right it's now. It's so beyond you know, the context <laughs> of that sentence and statement and all right, that. Right. But that's where more people than you want are at. You know, Correct. And you kind of have to um, you know, address it you know, at that level, you know, which is why we'll get into the fairs well, and what all that stuff is about. Uh, I mean. Let me just add, it's so, what to me is so important. Natural wine does not describe the flavor of a wine. Natural wine is not an aesthetic. It's not, you can say a wine tastes like it was made naturally, but you can't say like, I, I can't tell you what natural wine tastes like. I can tell you what this wine tastes like. Right. Uh, I agree. Any more than I can tell you what, you know, a commercial wine tastes like or, or, or a wine with more, uh, let's say, intervention? Well, I, I think the backstory is what people don't, you know, know as well, which is, you know, it's all in the vineyard. Mm -hmm. You know, the practices in the vineyard are organic, biodynamic, you know, ultra low intervention in the cellar and all that. That's, you know, where the good stuff is. Um, do you think, because you were back 15, 20 years ago, were earlier wines that were made naturally, were they less consistent today or they were just as good then? Have there been good jumps in, I wouldn't say technology, because it's not. I, I would say technology. I'd say there's a lot of science and, um, and sharing of information when it comes to fermentation and natural winemaking. And there's been great improvements, uh, certainly with shipping, um, with storing. Um, the, the, I used to get, there was a cuvee called La Telkel. Uh, I poured it by the glass at a restaurant, and the, the, the cork was always popping out. Uh, so I, I, I'm assuming a tiny bit of sulfur or SO2, you know, calmed it down so it didn't re-ferment. And that's an acceptable uh, uh, additive. That's a preservative, you know, to make the wine proper, because we can't sell wines that are re-fermenting or, in, in my opinion, have gone bad. So you mentioned the point, and it's a good point. Um, there's definitely a science and a technique to all of this, certainly in winemaking, because you're fermenting juice. Um, even though there's a simplicity in these wines, um, I guess winemakers, like you said, are sharing information, or they've learned from the last 15, 20 years. Is that fair? I mean, is the product more stable, consistent? The view and handling of sulfur has been fleshed out a little. Well, yeah, there's there's two topics that that are taking up too much bandwidth, and that's the uh, the term natural wine, right. to use it or not, what is it, and the other is uh, the addition of sulfur or sulfites or SO2, um, and and we're we're moving away from that a little bit. Um, I think the issue is we're spending too much time on it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's. But tell me uh, your feeling. I mean, are you a zero zero guy? No, of or course not. Right, I'm not a madman. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. I'm not a psycho. I'm not mad. Um, <laughs> although, the, the, although there is something to be said for wines that are zero zero, uh, that that work. Uh, there, they, there's a purity and a, and a beauty you just don't see in anything else. Yeah, but that's not every every terroir, every winemaker, some need to add a little bit right. uh, to stabilize it. And it's such a small amount. When we were talking about uh, when sulfur was demonized, it was when Beaujolais was using 150 parts per million sulfites, 
and the Gang of Four in, in Beaujolais, uh, uh, who started natural winemaking, basically. That was a rebellion based on, on, on what was going on in Beaujolais. The same way Whole Foods started in Texas, because that was, these things start in places where it's gotten so bad, where, where it, it's, it's at a level that even, you know, the country folk, the common folk can't take it anymore. So you see a, kind of a, let's, let's, let's say a mini revolution out of that. So um, remind me, Whole Foods started in Texas because yes. things were so crappy there food-wise? Yeah, it was all commercial. Uh, right, so food. somebody had to bring in real food and all of that. Yeah, they were eating so much crap, I think there was a market, uh, you know, there was a breaking point. And I think that's what, I think, I don't know if this is true, but I think that's maybe what happened in Beaujolais and why it happened there. Well, you, you mentioned the gang of four, guys like Marcel Lapierre Correct. and, you know, other guys. Is the point that, I guess, after World War II, everything got so, I don't know, Industrial, in the sense yeah. where it was easier to use pesticides and quicker turnaround, whatever. So the wines and the soils got crappy, right? That's and these part of it, guys, yeah. the movement is, is they went back to a time of respect to the land and low intervention winemaking. That's definitely part of it, but it's not the whole story. And it's a little bit of a myth, too, because there was a lot of sulfur used and a lot of manipulation used over, over the centuries. Right. Uh, wine has been incredibly manipulated. And in, in the 40s and 50s, we were very excited to, to use science and, and to use it to our benefit. It, it wasn't evil then. A little bit of pesticide was not considered evil. Right. It, it just hit a breaking point. Yeah, that's interesting how people view it now. Um, we could spend a whole show on that. Does You're an importer, and I, I don't want to get deep into that, but there's a conduit to how people are introduced or can get mm -hmm. certain wines, whether they're mm -hmm. natural, you know, all of that stuff. And I think, would you agree with me, it's the importers... Restaurants, shops. Sure. sure. Um, are they leading the charge for how people are tasting and and getting to absolutely and retailers? Absolutely. Uh, it, it's of course all about the 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 vignerons, the farmers, um, but the importers need to identify them, and the market needs to the retailers and restaurants need to support them. So I see, I see import labels as kind of uh, record labels, and right. me and my uh, business partner uh, are kind and of our guys. That's exactly yeah, right. looking for the talent. And you look at the back label, like, oh, it's RCA. Like, it's a good analogy, right, right, right? Like, they yeah, probably a good have country other cool label stuff. or whatever. Exactly, yeah, their stuff's cool. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, but there's. There's way more outlets now, too, right? I mean, more restaurants are committed to these wines, retailers. I mean, it's good for the consumer. Sure. And are, in your business, are there still guys you could travel through France or Italy in the country, guys that are not represented? Oh, sure, sure. So that's, yeah. that's still a thing where... It's like anything. It would be like asking if there's still bands to find. Uh, it, right. It's, it, it is the same thing. There, there is this, this... Walk into some crappy club and there's a great band. There's just always growth. Right. There's always something happening somewhere. Right. I think, I think I'm, that was, I plagiarized that line. All right. I want to talk about the fairs um, and get into that in some detail. But I'm always curious about this, especially with these type of wines. Um, has social media 
helped or played an important role for these wines or it wouldn't matter? And are millennials the audience or not necessarily, or are they driving it? Yeah, yes, they're, they're driving it. Uh, Why? Well, they're in big numbers. They're more. They're open-minded. Uh, the story makes sense. Natural. The story's good. Yeah. The winemaker's a farmer. I- exactly. So it, it attracts them more than any group. I, I would say so, definitely. And and we were me and my colleagues were all very young, and when we got into it too, because it was it was a reaction. It it spoke to us more than, you know, corporate. Uh, like industrial wines, right? It 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 just it just made sense immediately, and I think it does to them too. And social media reaches that audience really well, and in a way, it's free advertising. I mean, mm-hmm. if you manage it properly. But I get this sense, you know, we know these winemakers are literally farmers. Mm-hmm. I mean, are, are they even savvy to this stuff, or does that come back to the importers, the sommeliers, the you know, how do millennials? I'm- I'm shocked by how uh, in in touch with it they are. They are. Yeah. So that's uh, they're they're way me, better I'm than, glad any, to than hear I am it. at it and anyone I know. I've I've tried to do hire a graphic firm and myself to design a label, and you see you know a farmer who's never left his village like like how to, in France like just the perfect label for the wine. They're just every aspect and aesthetic of what they're doing from the label to to their advertising or social media to the juice itself it's just so when, when they're great they're all in sync with each other and they just get it that's a good thing because um, the if both sides of the market are very in tune that'll mm-hmm. only benefit you know the products um, Byron we're going to take a quick break and when we come back I want to talk about um, the fairs and I want you to get into some detail Um, and they're coming up this weekend. We're talking to Byron Bates. Um, Byron is launching the Wild World Wine Festival this weekend. There's also Peripheral. Um, So when we come back, we'll talk to Byron a little more about that. You're listening to The Grave Nation. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718 362 3539. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. 
Join us to explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, where you'll taste and imbibe to your heart's content. And bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Join the party. Tickets are available now at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. All right, we're back. We're back with Byron Bates. Byron is a wine importer, and Byron is, what's the right word, founder, creator of... They both sound self-serving, so... uh in parentheses, I'm self-serving, so... Okay. <laughs> it's all right. You're, you're the guy who figured this shit out and made it come to fruition. Yeah, I was the guy with a credit card I needed to max right. out for on something. Uh, but yeah. That's... So we were going to sit down with uh, Zach Palaccio, too, and the reason Zach was going to join us is Zach um, is doing a fair up in um, Hudson, the Hudson Valley, where he has his restaurant, Fishing Game, and Back Bar, and Zach is running a festival um, called Peripheral Natural Wine Festival. Um, that is Saturday, October 26th. Um, so Zach's festival will be up in the Hudson Valley. Um, it'll be a bunch of different winemakers, cider people. He's having a pre-dinner, a Georgian, not the state, the country dinner. And then he's having a walk-around affair. Um, and I'll give you information on where you can get uh, more details on peripheral. But not to compare the two for a second, but Wild World is coming to New York Monday, October 28th at Bergen in Brooklyn. Is that Crown Heights? That's Crown Heights. Crown Heights. Indeed it is. All right, so let's talk about that. The, I, tell me if this is the official name. It's Wild World New York, a natural wine and farmhouse ale fair, which is kind of how it started. <laughs> that's uh, that's version number six. Okay. I'm trying to get everything into one, like, subtitle, but so that's it, yeah. I don't mean to go backward, but Peripheral is celebrating its fourth year of the festival, so it's nice. Um, Wild World, you launched it in... In Austin, summer in Austin, Texas. So tell me how that started, and then let's get to, you know, the festival here. I was visiting Jester King Brewery in Austin. Uh, They they buy a lot of natural wine. Um, The style of their farmhouse beer is all wild fermented, or a lot of it is wild fermented. The land was gorgeous, and I was with the owner and said we should do a festival here. We should combine beer and wine, uh, all wild fermented, and uh, see what happens. So that conversation and the actual event, how much time did it take to get that together? Uh, I visited there in uh, November, and it was a slow build, and then it got to uh, uh, kind of gain steam over the next couple of uh, months. Right. And, and then we announced it in probably February, March. Right. Um, I mean, this is a great weekend in New York. I mean, sure it you is. Have, you have Peripheral um, over the weekend. You have the Raw Wine Fair is here, I think, Sunday and Monday. Mm-hmm. You have Wild World on Monday. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just great, you know, for everybody. For Wild World, what's your objective? I mean, have you even clarified it more since you were in Austin? I oh, mean, wh- sure. It's, the objective's always been the same. Um, there's a lot of fantastic wine fairs. Um, 
we think there's room for uh, focus on a lot of different things. Raw does its thing, Peripheral does its thing, Brumaire, uh, there's one in Chicago, uh, they're all wonderful. Um, I wanted one that brought beer into it as well. I, I, I think, and many people feel like uh, wild fermented beer and pet nats and a lot of unfiltered natural wines aesthetically are so similar ciders and close. And too, ciders, right? yes, cider, let's not forget There'll ciders. There'll be ciders. Absolutely. So it's really a fermentation festival with probably the slant going to wine, but it's a sure. celebration of fermented juices, right? Sure. Um, yes, and, and more of a scientific, uh, from a scientific viewpoint, from a, a, a stance of learning, from a position to like where I want to learn something when I go here. So you go into a festival and there's usually tables and you walk around and you could talk to the winemakers and taste wine. I'm sure that'll happen too. That's right. But are you doing panels or seminars? Yes. And is that where you're able to talk about the science and technique of all of this? Exactly. So let's talk about some of the panels. People could uh, eyeball this. Well, we want to... Um we, we, there's a lot of myths about natural wine and fermentation, and we want to get the people, we want to get the story right for prosperity's sake. Uh, one story is is how natural wine became a um, the phenomenon it is today. Uh, if if you have drinks with me and many of my colleagues and people in this industry, there's a lot of folklore and like who did what first, who did when, uh, where. Uh, so there's going to be three panels to start it. The first one will be uh, uh, Mark Grandinon, who was in Paris as a journalist and friend of the natural wine scene, uh, big figure in the 80s, and Arno Erhardt, who opened the first natural wine restaurant in New York. Uh, he lived in Paris in the 90s. What so, was that? Uh, 360 was in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. So they're going to tell... the. Parisian Who did he part. influence? Didn't he influence? Everyone. He did, but somebody, was it Will Durney or somebody that worked with him? I uh, forgot. Jorge did. Jorge. Yeah. It was Jorge. That's right. <laughs> Riera from Frenchette. Yeah. Yeah, he, he credits Arnold as a big part of his. The, the second panel will be what we call the OGNY, um, which will be a selection of people who were there early in, in on the New York scene. Um, that Lee Campbell who worked for a company called uh, Vineyard Expression, who was really the first. She out. was in Brooklyn? Uh, yeah, in she works. Walk. Yeah, she works. Uh, she worked in Brooklyn. She was with the uh, Tarlow Carlo. Group for a long time. Right. Um, Arnaud will be on that one as well. Um, uh, Eric Asimov is going to introduce the panel. Nice. And Lou Amdur, who's also an OG. Lou's uh, Wine LA. He has Lou Wine LA. He had the first natural wine bar in LA, and he's just a brilliant inquisitive, uh, uh, sensitive person. He's going he's gonna to be a great moderator. And then we'll segue into the third panel, which will be uh, the scene today, which will be some of the top young sommeliers today, and we'll talk about their perspective. So kind of, it's a trilogy where we'll tie it all together. And then we'll get into the more technical stuff. We'll have a beer, cool ship, a fermentation panel, a, um, uh, a co-panel, just about fermentation with winemakers, cider, uh, kombucha producers. And then we end with, uh, believe it or not, this is the grand finale, the, the ethics and aesthetics of natural wine, which is where uh, things get really interesting. Uh, cover that for me for a minute. 
the ethics and aesthetics, where would that go? I mean, let's <laughs> it not discuss completely... it in Salva now, but, you know, how do you cover it? I mean, what do you... What are the ethics and aesthetics? Uh, it, was, it was such an interesting conversation in Austin. Um, Alice Firing, Bill Fitch, uh, uh, a lot of real interesting people on this panel. Um, you know, is, is, it, is it an ethical product or do we drink it because of its aesthetics? Some people, oh, it's better for the environment. Uh, is mouse uh, an, an aesthetic flaw or... Is it an ethical acceptance? Um, It's very complicated, and it gets very, uh, it can get very interested and spirited. On these panels and seminars, is there interaction with the attendees? Are there questions, or try to get away from that because it would extend it? It gets a little Jerry Springer, yeah. Yeah, so you just let everyone get up there. It's funny, you said... um, the second to last panel was with young sommeliers. Right. So there's no old sommeliers. Yeah, the OG. <laughs> okay. But that's you guys. But, you know, you're carrying No, the, 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 the current sommeliers, there's some probably, probably everyone's under 40. There may be a couple okay. pushing 40. So, All right. Um, so if somebody attends this... Do they have to go online, sign up? Do they just walk in as a first-come, first-serve? For the panels? Yeah. I mean, they it, all it sound is. interesting. I'd hate to go and get shut out. I, I suppose uh, that could happen. It is That's first good, come, but serve. if you do a little planning... It's a, you it's a get, very big room. Okay. So you, just you, get there. Get there early, and their schedules will be there. We'll find okay. you space. Okay. There. Yeah, that's, that's a nice thing. Um, Help me visualize. Somebody walks through the door, and what's going on? I mean, is it an open space with different tables with winemakers, and then you'll have an area for the panels? How many producers are there? You know, how does it cut between wine and cider and all that stuff? What can I expect? Sure. It's it's a big room, uh, industrial uh, space in Crown Heights, uh, very open and airy. You walk in, it's like a typical salon. It's about 55 producers. Uh, beer and cider are are pretty much uh, integrated uh, amongst each other. Right. Uh, there's a, a concession stand, and the panel conversations will be in a uh, uh, a room in the back. A very open, very uh, very typical of any salon. And this is at too. Bergen. At Bergen, correct. E-R-G. Great space for Is Bergen a restaurant? No, it's a collection it's of, of a, restaurants. It is, okay. It's, there's a unifying bar that's a very huge bar, and then four or five different uh, kiosks, venues. Right. right. Um, what's the... You have winemakers coming from everywhere? From everywhere, so yeah. So there will be winemakers, there'll be people pitching in, psalms, distributors, sure, or it's, whatever, it's, it's, but you'll be able to meet, you know, winemakers. You'll be able to be meet f- winemakers and the brewers. Uh, we've even flown some winemakers in. We've fixed that into our budget. Nice. Because uh, we want, we don't want this to be uh, a trade show. We want this to be a uh, something for the public, something for everyone. And when I say it, we don't want it to be a trade show. We don't want to. Uh, uh, we we don't want to charge the vignerons or the producers for their table, because they're not really there to market per se. Right. They're there to discuss and and for all of us to learn. That's what I mean by it's not a trade show. 
But if by happenstance, oh, of course, somebody's not <laughs> represented, and somebody on sure. the other side said, "Are you represented?" and they say, by "No," can I help yeah. you? That's a good thing for everybody, Absolutely. right? But there's there are salons where that is the objective, to to, and that's the reason they travel right. and pay the money to do it is to is to be, uh, to to be to market, and this is more to discuss and to uh, find out what they're up to. Talk to me about um, the beer a little. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about uh, wine, natural wine and all that. Um, where is the beer movement right now? I mean, I think your focus is on, is beyond just craft beers and what's hot. I mean, it's mm -hmm. about fermentation and the science. Um, what's going on? With craft beers, not craft beers, with beer. What are the people that are coming to the uh, festival? I mean, what types of beers are they doing? Different things. Sure, there's a lot of um, lambic um, in the style of Cantillon, which is called right. Cool Ship here. Um, Explain what lambic is. Is that an introduction of some fruit into the? Uh, That's right, and a right. wild wild yeast. Right. Um, so is that does that fall under sour beer, or not necessarily? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, so we want we we want to introduce people to styles of beer that are very similar to some of the natural wines we all like. Um, at at the first Wild World, there was great conversations between brewers and vignerons, and I overheard a group of brewers saying so-and-so does this, Eric Texier said that, I'm going to try that, literally. And so there was, was like really an exchange of, a, a, a real exchange. of technique, is process, an, science, which is really what the that's festival right. is about. That's what you, you what you kind of bullshit and hope it's about and say it's about, yeah, but then but to you, see it's really like that. you've gone in with that intention and you've created the environment. Where it goes is another thing, but that's definitely the vibe going right. in. Um, There's so many good cool ship and, and uh, let's say, artisanal farmhouse ales right now. Um, that they belong here at the table. And I think it's really fascinating, personally, to try these alongside some of the best uh, winemakers and the best so, wines in the world, and ciders. This may be a silly question, and you'll fix it for me if it's not right. But is the beer movement replicating natural wine more or vice versa or... You know, I mean, they're sharing ideas, and there's a lot of similarities. I would, I would say, uh, beer is a little more interested in in natural wine. Okay. Uh, I think it's it's changing a little bit. Um, I remember, I remember, two thousand end of the odds, like two thousand ten, um, a proprietor from France came over to. Um, um, check out the natural wine scene here and I took him we didn't really have any places to go <laughs> so I took him to a place called Beer Table and it was like why are we here and it was all Cantillon like Lambic Cool Ship Ales and that's hard to find too even that then there you never saw uh, beer on a natural wine list in France then and when I went back a couple months later he had Cantillon on his menu and now that's it's pretty ubiquitous now. It's like you see some yeah, uh, like people like Pascaline Lapeltier been yeah waving that flag too. Yeah, it, but that yeah. was unheard of. No, uh, no, no, 10, no, 15 years ago. Right, but they're so similar. It just 
it, it, it's an obvious uh, merging. It's a good um, partnership connection or side by side. Absolutely, you know they make yeah. sense, um, and certainly there'll be an opportunity at uh, Wild World to well, taste a taste bunch them of together and discuss it with the producers. It's really fascinating. All right, so let's get into vitals for a second. We'll do it now, and we'll do it, you know, as we end the show. So Wild World is this Monday, October 28th. Um, it is, it's at Bergen, B-E-R-G apostrophe N. That's which, right. Which is in Crown Heights. If people want more information about the event, website? Yeah, uh, we do have a website, which uh, is? www.wildworldfestival.com. Okay. So that'll have um, all the information. It'll have the panel schedules. It'll have uh, tickets for sale. It'll have you buy information on there. future and past events. Yeah, absolutely. So you can buy them, print them out, and just show up and walk right in type yes. thing? Good. Um, what are the hours? Uh, 10 to 7 p.m. It's okay. a long day, uh, but we want it to be available if, if people are in for the weekend and they want to go to Raw the same day also. Right. Um, right. So Raw is the day before and that day, and I think Raw was in Brooklyn. It's in Queens now, but there's plenty of time to do both. Um, not that this is important to me, but just looking out for my peeps, is it mm -hmm. the type of thing where there's nibbles or any food? Or? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So we'll, there'll be stuff like that there. We'll have sandwiches, snacks, coffee. Okay. Uh, and Oyster, wait, we have any oysters, too? No. That's not okay. No oysters? No. That's all right. Good job we there, tried. Jay. <laughs> um, and Next like time. I said, Peripheral is the uh, Saturday before that on October 26th. Um, right. That is up in the Hudson Valley. Do we have... So if you want more, so tickets, October 26th, 2019, there's a pre-dinner, which Zach Palaccio, the great chef, is doing the night before on Friday, October 25th. He's featuring the foods of the Georgian region, which is a very hot winemaking area. Um, and you can go to uh, peripheralwine.com for more information there. So like we said earlier, um, this is a terrific weekend. Make a weekend of it. Yeah, and here's the other thing we didn't talk about, and I'm sure that you're pretty much involved in all this. All the winemakers are going to be running around New York. Right. They're going to be hanging. They're doing organized right. tasting and events and all that. It's really a nice time um, for natural wines, again, as a term, in New York, because everybody is just there sharing you know, the right. whole vibe. Um, which is really nice. Well, we can think Raw brought everyone here, uh, and they brought so many people that there's a big overflow. Yeah, and we uh, we feel like Zach and I both that that there's room for different. Uh, I agree. I think events. it's complimentary. You know, Raw's Raw. I They're very so. large. They're terrific. Um, there are a lot of wine people involved. There are, um, you know, there'll be other people um, and different it's like seminars. The salons in in France. Yeah. They, they all take place at one time, and hopefully we, we all hope this is like in the future like Super Bowl weekend of natural right. wine. You come up here and I, I love that. make a trip it, of it's, it. It's all positive. All right. <laughs> Two things, Byron. Nobody leaves the Grape Nation without doing our wine list, and that mm -hmm. is we ask our guests five questions, wine preferences. We ask everyone the same questions. Buzz through them. This is spontaneous. Don't dwell on them. All right. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? Is there any, not 
Are you trying anything? Are you moving into the seasons? Are you curious about something? What's in the fridge? What's on your table? Um, and let's drink a little more of this. Okay. Um, I like... Uh, I'm drinking a lot of cool ship, uh, you know, uh, or, or farmhouse ales. Okay. Uh, local stuff, too. Uh, there's some great breweries around here. New stuff? Stuff you're tasting stuff for the first, second ciders, time? Ciders and all. are good in, in the fall. There's some great natural ciders. Cider is very difficult to make organically, and the ones, the people that are doing it, uh, it's really delicious. You know, Not to Burr. single anyone out or leave anyone out, but can you name one or two that, you know, uh, well, we should look out Plan for? B. Plan farmhouse B. ale. Farmhouse ale. Uh, okay. There's a great uh, small brewer upstate called Suarez. Yes. Delicious. Yes. Um, uh, Aaron Burr, great cidery upstate. Yep. Um, you can't go wrong with any of those. That's those are all good New York ones. In a bottle. That's what we want to hear. This is the goofiest question on the list. Uh oh. Favorite wine and food pairing. Favorite wine and Now, this food isn't pairing. necessarily something you eat every day, every night, every month. But, you know, what do you like? You know, it's like, hey, I'm going to have burgundy and chicken tonight. Or what, 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 what's worked for you? Um, let's see. Um, let me think, try not to think too much. I like um, a pet nat, a pet nat rosé. And let's... What goes well with that? Uh, a mineral one, let's say oysters. Okay. That's what I'm into. So that is the natural <laughs> wine guy's, Jay, that's the natural wine guy's answer to champagne and oysters. That's Pet right. Pet and oysters. <laughs> All right. All right. This one, your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. We could stay in New York, Brooklyn and all that. And you want to stay in New York? Yeah. Um, who does it well? Who has the selection? Um, I think between the three of us, we probably could get a lot of common names. But who, who's doing it well out there? And I Ooh. think it, it's fair to say we're in the context. Sure, here. I'm going to leave of the na- I'm natural. Gonna, I, you know, line. I'm going to forget people. And I'm gonna well, get but a lot we're of not excluding <laughs> anyone, and I'm disclaiming sure. you for that. Just give me a couple of places that are. Uh, there's a lot of great places now, I and mean, we're very fortunate that the wine scene is so strong right now. But, you know, the biggest opening this year was Frenchette. Um, Lee Jorge Hansen, Riera. And Nasser and with uh, Jorge Riera. Um, great food, fantastic. great wine program. Yeah, it all really comes together, That's uh, a, all, all aspects of it. That's a good answer because that's the question. Yeah. Everyone who put the, the people, the selection... The vibe, the food, you know, the compatibility. You got one or two more that come through your head? Uh, four Horsemen, for the same reasons as um, as uh, Frenchette. They just they got a Michelin star. Job. Oh, congratulations. Which well, is last an, night. An amazing I was in bed checking and, for a and place. I fell asleep. Yep. That's fantastic. Kudos to them. Absolutely. Give me one more. Uh, bar wise, uh, or restaurant? The uh, Roxy Hotel. Uh, they have a great natural Where's that? List. In the hotel? It used to be called Tribeca Grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, really? Nobody's ever mentioned that on the show. Well, that's... We've done 150 guests first time. I like that. Yeah. Why? Well, why do they have... No, why is that a good... Why are you throwing that in as a choice? What are they doing well there? Um... They have a, there's great wines by the glass, and okay. mostly natural. Uh, nice. There's a pet nut by the glass. There's uh, maybe even some Pinot d'Anis. Uh, but nobody knows because it's, you know, Jorge, Jorge, they Jorge know. Riera turned uh, me on to, not turned me on, but he made me a Pinot doing, he's a believer. 
you know. It's, now I drink it all the time. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right, those are good ones. And I didn't mention this, but we post all answers on our social media, Instagram, Facebook, because people are interested in hearing, you know, what you guys mm -hmm. think. And collectively on the show, you know, we have a database of everyone. Cool. Do you have a favorite all-time wine? No. When I... Let me disclaim <laughs> When I put the question together, it was a dumb question, and the search was for the most expensive rare wine, you know, the 61 Petrus. Yep. That became BS. It became more experiential. Was there a wine that resonated with you, that came up at an important time, that launched something? Is there any wine like that sure. that's more important than favorite is where the question's going? Uh, I miss, uh, of the early 2000s, I miss uh, uh, Grolo. I don't see as much Grolo as I used to. G-R-O-L-L-E-A-U? Yeah, there used to be. Okay. Kuzan had one. Uh, so Le there's Kuzan. less around is what you're saying? Yeah, no one seems wow. to. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's not as as ubiquitous as it once was. and, and I, I find So you love it and it you miss it. it. I miss it a lot. Okay. Yeah. And that's a favorite? Oh, yeah. Okay. We'll stick with that answer. All right, you should be able to answer this. Recommend to me the best wine you could think of for 15 to 20 bucks, give me a red, give me a white. Here's the story. My kids are in their 20s. They can't go to a party and bring a crappy $11, $12 bottle of wine. They can't afford 40. So who are they impressing at 15, 18, 22 bucks? You can give me a category like Muscadet. You can give me makers. Sure, well, Muscadet is a good category. For I, a white, right? Good yeah. value, good wine. Well, I mean, you, you, you're in a, a minefield of industrial, commercial, you know, Garbage, but so we're assuming they're getting a like, good bottle of Muscadet, like a Pepier or something. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, who else is a good producer? Uh, Lunel Papin, uh, uh, Torladiere. Like, there's, there's, there's many good producers. There's Joe Landron. Joe Landron, yeah. So those are all. So Muscadet is a great white sure. value category. I mean, you could or Beaujolais for red. A, so a Beaujolais crew. for red, probably at that price, the village level. You think or. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, Cru is probably going to be twenty-five yeah. bucks and a little more. What What do you like in Beaujolais? Producer, region, style? I mean, uh, Pierre Doré. It's Southern Beaujolais. Spell uh, D D O R E E S. There's, okay. there's, there's an accent on one of those. Doré. I would have never gotten that right. It's where Jean Paul Brun started. Yeah, which everyone knows him, but it's a region that uh, uh, every all the producers there make. Van de France, they don't have an appellation. Uh, the soil is, is uh, the vines are old, uh, so it used to be very commercial. So young people could buy vines there and make great wines. So there's a movement there of young vignerons making beautiful wines with their families, with horses. It's much like the Loire 30 years ago, right. and that's what's happening in southern Beaujolais. Great, a, great that, stuff coming. That's a perfect recommendation. Like I said, I'm going to post all of that. All right, good job there. Well, Very thank you impressed. for having me. All right, so we're going to wrap the show up, but we wrap the show up with a uh, segment called the Weekly Wine Sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air. Um, what are we doing here? For our Weekly Wine Sip, we're going to taste the Ardèche. It's a... Uh, so what we want to do is talk about it, taste it, evaluate it. Okay. And I, I've tasted it already. It's a delicious wine, so I'm already tooting the virtues, but let's talk about it. So the name of the wine, the vintage, 
Uh, it's uh, uh, VDF or Van de France from okay. Sylvain Bach. Uh, it's not allowed to post a vintage, but it's uh, 2017. Uh, is, is that a Van de France thing you can't post vintage? That's or? right. Okay. Um, he's in the Ardèche. He's from the school from Gerald Oostrick of La Moselle. Um, there's also other winemakers near him, Andrea Collect, Gila Zoni. Um, they're always completely natural, meaning no sulfur, no additives, no uh, chemicals. And they're all very similar in style, but, but also distinctly different. Like the wine you're drinking now is a blend of Grenache, Merlot, and Syrah. And Sylvain Bach makes this wines very fresh and juicy. They're very fresh. They're very juicy. Almost a like crunchy. a it's like a graduation from a Beaujolais Cru. Someone like yes. Beaujolais Cru, in in the yes. fall you could try one of these, uh, and they fit very well together. Um, How do you think it's blended? I mean, what's the predominant grape? Uh, the pro- predominant grape is Grenache. Grenache. I Grenache think, yeah. uh, in granite. Yeah, grown in granite. Um, and what do you say? I mean, they couldn't post the vintage year, but it's a seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. And how do we know that? Just because when the wines hit the market, we know when they hit the market, it's from that year. No, it's on his cork. Oh, it is on the yeah. cork? Okay. <laughs> they hide it on there somewhere. It's sometimes in the serial okay. uh, number or never on the back. So wait, they run. can't post it, but they kind of hide it. They can hide it, it sometimes. Okay, yeah. I got you. Yeah. All right, so let's do a quick evaluation of this. So the color, um, pretty deep dark garnet, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. it's got a nice color. It's, it's, it's fairly clear. You mm-hmm. know, there's a little teeny cloud to it, which is fine. Um, what, tell me what you get on the nose. Kind of plum, uh, a little bit of spice, maybe from the Syrah. Yeah. Um, uh, dark cherry. That's those are characteristics of the grape. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the Merlot is putting in it. Maybe it's softening in it a little or something. Softening a little bit, giving it a little uh, body. All right, mouthfeel. This is a medium. It's not... Uh, medium, yeah. Medium it, it, to it's full. not unctuous. It's not thin. Um, so we, we'd give it medium. All right, what about the palate? Does the palate reflect the nose descriptors? Oh, I jumped ahead, didn't I, before? No, you didn't uh, jump ahead at all. It, uh, yeah, sure it does. What? So wait, that plum and yeah, all right, that right, stuff right. in there, the red? A little bit, yeah. So do we like this wine? We like this wine a lot, right? I, I love this wine, yeah. What's the retail on a wine like this? Uh, 20, 22. Great value. And well, pre-Trump. Right. Pre-tariffs. Pre-tariffs. God damn it. Um, what, tell me what's a good pairing or food pairing. Oh, charcuterie. Um, uh, cheese and meats or meats? Oh, yeah, yeah. Cheese and meats. Okay. Uh, any, so anything. you lay out a killer platter, put this wine in the glass. It's sure. Perfect. Anything you're snacking on, noshing on before dinner, like that you put out hors d'oeuvres or uh, light snacks. Nice. But anything, you know, uh, uh, Light chicken, uh, uh, roast well. chicken dinner. Yeah. You know what? I think it could probably hold up to a burger. Sure. You know, sure. I mean, it's got the body and all of that. All right, so that's the Sylvain Bach Ardèche. The name of it is Le Grelo. Um And you can get that at better natural, nice wine stores, right? Yes, you can. Okay, it's somewhat available. All right, we got a couple of minutes left. What's that bottle next to it? Can we try that? 
Sure we can. This is um, a producer named Sebastian David. He's in St. Nicolas de Bourgogne. D-A-V-I-D-E? Like, or no E? David. No E. No E. Um, Sebastian David. This is his Cuvée Cuff. It's 100% Cabernet. Cabernet Franc. Cuff being C-O-E-F? F, yes. Okay. This is not in the stores because he had to destroy all of it. He okay. famously was. So this is kind of an interesting AOC. Yes. Wait, so okay. you said it's all cab? Cabernet Pardon? Sauvignon? Did you no, I'm sorry, uh, Cabernet Franc. Cabernet Franc. Um, okay. He had to sue the uh, AOC to keep it. Uh, he got a lot of support. Over 100,000 uh, petitioners signed for him. Uh, it was huge news in France, but he wound up losing and had to destroy all of it uh, because there's too much VA uh, so, for the appellation. So what does that mean? This wine's not available? It means... <laughs> that's right. And what Older about vintages his... are. What about his other stuff? I mean, what else is he making? Uh, he has a famous cuvee called Hurlu Burlu. Okay. All right, so let's... Uh, so this is another deep garnet. Um, clear. The nose is crazy. I mean, I'm getting like cinnamon. I yeah, don't know what right. the hell I'm getting. I'd this say is the Christmas spices. Yeah, this yeah. is a crazy nose. Christmas spices, cinnamon. Um, what else is in there? Any fruit in there? A uh, little bit like, like uh, uh, red currant. Um, mm, yes. Some strawberry. All right, let's go uh, mouthfeel. Wow, the, so that's a medium. It Fill, fills the mouth. Right. Um, agree on the mouthfeel? Yes, agree. All right, the palate, for some crazy reason, shoots right at you that's and the replicates, the, uh, yeah. rep replicates the nose. Yeah. There's that cinnamon and spice right there, right front and forward. Yeah. What else? Um... He makes a style that's uniquely his. I it's feel a crazy like wine. you could almost, and it, it's uh, Saint Nicolas de Bourgogne. Like it's such an, it, it, it's it's not like Chinon, right? It doesn't have the kind of the veget, vegetal nope. like, uh, tufo. It's kind of a none of that. It's it's like probably the most unique Cab Franc I've had. Cab Franc can be so brilliant. I know. I mean, I've Good never hands. I've never had this Kolf, but unfortunately, sometimes if this style in Anjou, like like. An insipid commercial Cab Franc can be really just all fruit and all spice. This has a complexity that really intrigues as you sip it. It's great. Um, all right. Got to drink two wines. There's about five Hayu farms in front of us, which is hard to pass up, but maybe after the show we'll clank a few of those. Um, I got to shut it down, Byron. Um, let me do a wrap-up. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook, at The Grape Nation, on Instagram, at SBenRuby, on Twitter, at BenRuby. I know it's a little confusing, but you could always follow the hashtag, The Grape Nation. And like I mentioned earlier, I will give you more information about Byron's wine list. We'll give you the answers. I'll tell you what wines we drank today, and I'll also give you info on the uh, festivals. Um, so we hope you come out. Um, once again, 
if people want more, <laughs> if people want more info on Wild World, they go to wildworld wildworld.com wildworldfestival.com wildworldfestival.com and peripheralwine.com for the right. peripheral fair um, do you care if people follow you on Instagram do I care deeply way too much okay so where can we follow Byron Bates <laughs> uh, at wildworldfestival so okay. festivals okay yes. alright what about you personally uh, it's my business it gets the my uh, at Goat Boy Selections. Goat Boy Selections. Yeah. Okay, doing good stuff over there. Thank you. All right, I want to thank our guest, Byron Bates. Byron is bringing the Wild World um, Festival to New York this uh, Monday. Thanks to our engineer, Jeet, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.